up, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the Dance Dance Revolution master, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you today, sir? Uh, I am good. I am, uh, I am repping the proletariat today. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know my feelings towards Dance Dance Revolution. I've always been uh, a, keen, a, keen, a keen fan mm-hmm. of it. All things in the, the dance arts thing. <laughs> all, all of all of that stuff. <laughs> I think there, there is the Australian Ballet is five minutes from my house, so you know I would say I would acquire a taste. But we're in lockdown, so yeah, and extended for another week just for a change. It's not as if snap lockdowns have ever actually not been extended. Gone. They've never gone on time, have they? They never yeah. two things they never do. They never come in on time and they never shorten them. Um now the truth. In fairness though, for our foreign friends, um, uh, our friends in the States, we do have the occasional mm-hmm. listening from over in the US. Their numbers yes. aren't good. And <laughs> not good. Um nope. and you know, Sydney, if you want to see what it looks like when you just go, eh, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can just have a look at what's going on in Sydney right now. And uh, I said to someone at work today, you know, there's an outside chance an outside chance that we'll get it under control by in the next seven days or so, you know. Mm. Um, and we could potentially by next Friday be out of lockdown, out of this super hard lockdown into the lower level of lockdown where you're allowed to leave the house. Um, and, um, you know, we could, be, we could be out of lockdown-ish kind of situation in a week, right, potentially with the numbers we have here. But Sydney are a couple of months away, period. Um, yeah, yeah, they're so, kind of cocked at least a month, you'd say. I, I don't know. Like, there are yeah. 300 cases a day. We don't talk about the uh, unspecified virus of unknown origin terribly often on the show. but um, No, no, we don't because um, we support our people. <laughs> I don't know. We learned the hard way. We were in lockdown for 112 days last year in a row. So I do feel for any people, any of our listeners who are, uh, I don't know if we have any listeners. Um, don't know if we have any listeners. Period. We've got, we've got three um, people logged in right now. Hello, three um, people. Hello, three people. But if you're in New South Wales, or uh, you know, if you listen to a podcast later, and you are in New South Wales, you do have our understanding and sympathies. So George didn't really get the lockdown last year. He was outside of Metro Melbourne, so he was allowed to, you know, leave. Well, you know, it's it's like at the moment, regional Victoria is not fully locked down. It's just Melbourne metro area. And my housemate, she said, oh, that's another reason we we should move back. Side story, we've been out of the house for two months at this point. And you Um, want to see why live on the show, because you blacked out. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Locked back in by candlelight. (laughs) I bring the mood. (laughs) You bring the talent, I bring the mood. (laughs) Like lukewarm water. Hmm. But never mind, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Now, um, we've, had, we've had a few things hello, that... Hello to Carrie. Um, sorry. Mm, yes, hi, Carrie, Carrie Kitty. So this week, this past week has been quite a big one for us. Obviously, just after last week's show, um, The Suicide Squad got released in cinemas and we didn't have a chance to go and see it there. But we are men of ability and talent and we found a way to watch the suicide squad and um marvel's new 
TV series What If released today. Now, I have been able to watch it. Travis has not. He doesn't want me to go into any spoilers, so we will hold off on conversations on What If until next week. And depending on our availability of watching, we may very well be able to do a bit of a roundup on the first two episodes because it is being released weekly. Um, but we do still have stuff to talk about, and it's all fresh stuff. And, of course, this week, Travis decided to punish me for something I don't know what I've done or a future uh, crime. For all our version of Hamlet. That was in response to Death Machine. You have hurt me more than I have hurt you, sir. You had your chance at Death Machine. That was a year ago. (laughs) Seems like a long time ago. Time is an illusion. So, should we get on with our chain movie of the week? Yes. Howard Um, the Duck. So, uh, we followed um, somebody whose name escapes me, who was a a minor character in in Strange Days. Uh, It was Richard Edson. Richard Edson, who I haven't even met the foggy side of who he plays in this, but he is in this movie, apparently. He plays Richie. And I don't remember who Richie is. But anyway, um, this was, believe it or not, the However Duck is uh, a Marvel property. This was the first standalone Marvel film, essentially. Um, yes. Uh, it wasn't... You both won it by not watching that Bill Twer. Sex in the City. I heard the, the sequel was pretty bad, Kara Kitty. The Kara Kitty says it wasn't Sex in the City, so you both won by not watching that Bill Twer. Um, <laughs> I, I heard the sequel was pretty bad. I haven't I haven't been uh, lucky enough to see either of those films. Um, yeah, but, that's my understanding yeah. too. Um, but this is the first standalone Marvel film. There have been a couple of TV movies and stuff, but... This is the first standalone movie. And it should be noted, the last standalone movie for another 12 years uh, until yeah. Blade came out in 1998. So it tells you something about the level of success of Howard the Duck. But uh, Howard the Duck, a sarcastic humanoid duck, is pulled from his homeworld to Earth where he must stop an alien invasion with the help of a nerdy scientist and a struggling female rock singer. Mm. Interesting. Uh, in terms of the talent on screen, we have Leah Thompson, probably best known for her role in Back to the Future. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, best known for Don't Mention the War, but he was in um, various Bueller's Day Off, of course, and yes. he has gone on to other things. Um, <laughs> don't just and, of it. course, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins in a very He's early a role. Yeah. An Academy Award winner, you know, um, you know, megastar. Um, and um, probably the other name I noticed that he was at Paul Gilfoyle pops up as a policeman and you'll know his face because he was in one of the CSI shows for about 10 years, I think. Um, And he's just one of those guys who just pops up. He's in stuff. Mm. Um, And probably the other big name that you're not going to see on the screen here so much is this has come about via Lucasfilm. This is the one of George Lucas's follow-up projects to um, uh, Star Wars. He didn't direct it. He just produced it. It was written uh, by Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, who wrote American Graffiti with George Lucas, and it was directed by Willard Hike as well, who I don't think was best known. More of a writer than a director, but um, and but you know, sort of part of the um, part of the Lucasfilm ecosystem in the eighties. So, yeah, um, this got spent a lot. I spent a lot of money on this. The duck suit alone cost two million dollars, um, mm-hmm. and the reason I picked this is I sort of said there's a uh, a bit of a duck croissant 
uh, coming on with this. Uh, <laughs> or should we say a quackersant? Um, and it's being reassessed. I've seen some people reassessing it in the light of, you know, 35 years after it was made. It wasn't really as bad as we all made it out to be. For example, it was supposed to be playing at the Astor uh, last weekend um, as part of a Melbourne International Film Festival. Obviously, that didn't happen because of the unspecified virus of unknown origin. Um, mm. But uh, I, I've seen a few other people, like Mark Commode, who is a very well-known British, um, a, a very well-known British uh, film review. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's on the mm. BBC. Um, uh, but it's just interesting, this week in watching a review of a Suicide Squad, he referenced Howard the Duck. Um, and, and how much he actually didn't think it was, it was that he actually quite liked uh, the film. So uh, I thought given mm. there's some, some reasonably prominent, and of course uh, Howard has popped up in a couple of the MCU properties in a very small cameo role, so I thought it might be worth mm -hmm. taking a look and sort of going, well, I haven't seen it since I was about 10, so, mm. you know, is it really as bad as we remember? And I feel mm. like your answer is yes. Yes, it is. It definitely is. I will give it that the, the duck suit is still overall quite impressive. Um, the, the way that the, um, what's his name? Um, Ed Gale, who does the, the actual um, kind of movement work for um, in the suit, he was actually quite good at, and, and the, the way it looked was, for its time, surprisingly good and articulate at actually expressing more emotion than you'd expect for essentially a rubber suit duck. Um, and uh, Chip Zine, who was the the voice, I, th I think I'm getting that uh, those parts the right way around. You are right, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he was overall pretty good. The problem with this movie is that it is tonally all over the place. It doesn't age well it's it doesn't also doesn't go far enough because the character of how the duck is supposed to be a satire parody character i mean the opening of it you've got howard moving around his apartment on duck world and there's like breeders of the lost ark and things like that and it bird wiser yeah it's, um, it's all terrible puns but none of it actually is used to kind of inform on the story or anything like that. It's just there for kind of trashy window dressing. I feel like, I feel like um, Howard the Duck should be kind of so self-referential in the, in a similar kind of vein to Deadpool of it serves the character and he's aware of the absurdity of himself. But then the movie kind of very quickly takes Howard from Duckworld to Earth and then it suddenly becomes terrible analogy, I guess, but a fish out of water story. <laughs> um, and it, I, oh, wow, I'm doing the puns here. It flounders. <laughs> uh, yeah, right himself. Yeah. Uh, so, is kind of like how the uh, reassembly of the ankle's body in Pinhead is impressive for the time. I think you're talking about Hellraiser there. Um, hmm. A film I have not seen, but it's certainly unusual to see films from his age that use practical effects and still look really hmm. good. Uh, and the, hmm. um, but the press, the, um, the pedigree 
of a people making this film is beyond reproach. I mean, as we said, it came out of Lucas. At the time, yeah. Um, and uh, they you know, they were ILM, right? So um, that mm. was the pinnacle of, of special effects. And the monster effects, stop going monster effects, were done by Phil Tippett, mm. uh, who worked on things like Star Wars and then went on to be the dinosaur wrangler. Um, on, on he did the he did the stop go motion work on and on Jurassic Park as well. So the special yeah. effects in this are well yeah, thirty five years old. I don't quite hold up. I, yeah. I agree with George. Parts of them still look pretty good. Like I I actually do kind of like the the makeup and blending of physical and digital effects that happened to um uh to Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Jones' character as he kind of deteriorates as he's possessed by this character it there was definitely like him shooting all the lightning it definitely evoked a lot of kind of uh goes of the gozerium kind of lightning coming out and it whilst it did look aged it still looked kind of aged appropriate and it, it was kind of nice to see jeffrey jones doing this genuinely evil character and especially kind of casting somewhat against type where you he first appears in the really disturbing scene where um beverly and howard ah. are in bed one of yes. the most talked about possibly the thing that made this movie infamous the the over sexualization between bird and human and then you've got jeffrey jones character dr walter jenning just in her apartment kind of watching it's like okay that's creepy but it turns out that he's actually kind of a nice guy who's trying to help, and then he gets possessed by a bad thing. Um, it's it's just kind of all over the place. I, I won't disagree with anything you've said there, but mm. I think it does warrant reassessment because I kind of had a good time with it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I think it's a few things. That, but you, you are 100% right. For example... The, you you went to read up on the Howard the Duck character in the comic books. It's a lot more of an adult sort of thing. Mm. He's a a uh, you know a womanizing cigar chopping private detective. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think at one point in time, Lucas wanted to animate this, and that would have looked really good, I think. But mm. they had a contract with Universal that it had to be live action, so that got kiboshed. Um, mm. And also, when you were spending, I don't know, I don't know what the actual budget on this was, but it was significant for the time. Mm. Um, you know, for, I'm guessing in the river realm of you know, 50, 60 million US dollars back then. Um, budget 37, according to INDB, 37 million. Mm. So it's quite a bit for, for the mid 80s. Um, you know, you probably need to, to target the widest audience possible. Yeah. Um, and having a talking duck from outer space probably lends itself quite well to a, fa- a kitty or family friendly film. But you're right, mm. the tone is weird, right? We have you know, him walking to porno mag at the start of a movie, uh, play duck, I guess it is, and like, um, and then he when he's being you know being transported from the duck world to Earth, he smashes through someone's window, and we see his neighbor in the bath, and we see duck breasts, and yeah, uh, you know, and, and you're like, okay, um, but then the rest of the film once he gets to Earth is very much a, a very family friendly sort of tone to the mm. film, you know, very sort of it's almost like a a weird E.T. kind of thing with the displaced alien and just like a small ragtag group that are trying to help and it just escalating from there. But it just has these sudden weird pepperings, like Beverly going through his 
um, wallet and finding the condom. Condom, yeah. <laughs> um, it's things are a bit. That's very that is a jarring at times. And you're like, what exactly <clears throat> were you going for? You've kind of got to pick a lane. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, pick a lane and go with it. Uh, you know, if you make a kids' film, look fine. You don't have to be completely you know, uh, reverential to the source material, especially at that point in time in the 80s where, you know, nobody really was uh, mm. until until Tim Burton. Um, but, or you want to make the adult-oriented, you know, sarcastic, you know, womanizing duck, that could be funny too, but, you know, you can't do both. And mm. so it did veer between those two tones quite wildly. Um, uh, and um, I think what I did enjoy was, funny is that, I think I enjoyed it mainly for nostalgic reasons. Like the tone mm. of this film is kind of a wacky, zany, family-friendly adventure. And now mm. normally, you know, uh, I'm going to have to hand in my curmudgeon card here. That is not the kind of thing I would normally be signing up for all that eagerly. Um, mm. But I had a lot of fun with it. It actually reminded me of a kind of film they just don't make anymore. They do not make films like that anymore. Um, That's true. Uh, you know, a, a wacky, it kind of reminded me of, say, the Muppet movies, you know, the, Muppet, the great Muppet movie and the great Muppet caper. The, and, the early Muppet know. movies, yeah. There, there's yeah. kind of like a, almost like a subgenre of them. There's the early Muppet movies. There's this. There's kind of Gremlins. Um, those, a lot of the Joe Dante stuff, Joe's apartment, it's mm. all kind of, it's gritty and weirdly genred and it kind of flows from one thing to another and it, but it's kind of marketed at younger kids but it's not really for them and it's just like this sub bubble of odd things that a lot of them have end up ended up becoming kind of cult cult favorites after the fact but a lot of them were generally kind of mild to low successes when they first came out it's like, okay they mark I mean, cult films start out as very successful films. I think they're, really? I think, I think all cult films ended up started out being unsuccessful in one way, shape, or form. So mm. it, it is weird that I, I just found myself going along and enjoying a completely ridiculous ride that made absolutely no sense and, you know, really had mm. no business being as entertaining as it was. And all the puns, you're right, they started out going, the puns on Dark World I was okay with. I was mm. okay with that. Like, I thought that was kind of funny. Mm. Um, but that kind of made sense within the logic of the story. Then, yeah. you know, like when he got to Earth, and the first one is like, nobody laughs at a master of quack foo, and you know, like, oh god. But, um, they just they kind of lent into it, you know, um, maybe mm. unknowingly, but they really lent into the, the, the pun thing hard. And I'm like, you know what, halfway through, I'm actually, you know what, I'm on board with this now. I'm having fun. I can't <laughs> wait to see how stupid the next one is. So I, I, I don't think, I think I'm almost enjoying the film in spite of itself. It is so ridiculous. It is so badly written. It's so badly done. It's a bit like Showgirls sometimes, you know, in the same, you know, oh, the, yeah, same, that's true. the same sort of genre as Showgirls, which is so bad it's good. And, you know, uh, if, if anyone, if you haven't seen Showgirls, I, I entirely endorse um, checking mm. that film out if you can because it's hilarious. Out of the sex scene between Elizabeth Berkeley and um, Kyle McLaughlin in the pool is just a thing of absolute beauty. Um, so the unsexiest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, um, but uh, that's off, that's true. But I feel like this kind of film is maybe in the same in, in the in the same sort of uh, you know line where it's so bad it's good. Um, yeah, to the point where 
I mean, spoilers here. Um, yeah, the end of a film. By the end of the film, of course, the good guys won, and Howard uh, manages to vanquish um, the evil overlords um, mm-hmm. by killing him with a disintegrator ray, which is something we just left hanging around at the science place, which is handy. Um, he becomes the manager. Of, so Leah Thompson, the love interest in the film, is a rock star. He becomes mm. the manager of her band by the end of the film. Um, mm. And they play a song called How of a Duck because bands love writing songs about their managers, I've found. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very common thing they'll write songs about. Um, and, and of course, he ends up on the stage with a guitar playing with them and it's like, you know, everyone's going, he starts chanting Howard and you're like, oh, this is really, really bad. Like, this is really cheesy. But yeah. by this point in time, I was down for some cheese. Like, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had I had fun with this film. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we managed to make it to episode 121 before Travis had to finally give in to the fact that he is no longer the show curmudgeon. Oh, well, I'm going to have a whole... I'm, I'm actually thinking about starting an entirely new podcast just about being a curmudgeon, so... Yeah. <laughs> You this is my list of things that have annoyed me today. I uh, things I can't get behind. Yeah, um, there are too many states today. Please remove two. Um, <laughs> I'm not a crackpot, um, but you know, you got, you got to segment your audience. If you're you're in, if you're down for the conventionally stuff, you, there's going to be more about to come. Um, but I, yeah, it was, it was just somehow weirdly, really fun. And even despite the horrible performance from Tim Robbins, who, my goodness, he uh, he was a good sport taking this one on. Yeah, it was. I I I also the, the thing the whole chase sequence with the little micro light vehicle as well. I remember the moment, like the brief two months when micro lights were a popular, cool thing to have, <laughs> and then they just stopped. <laughs> that I mean that scene in itself is quite a quite an achievement. I mean, if you stop and think about it, there's a puppet. Yeah, in that thing, and it looks no. if you start, it looks pretty good, really. That the whole chase considered, yeah. Um, John Landis was originally going to direct this, but he didn't want to do it, having done um, Blues Brothers, he didn't want to do no. another car chase film. Um, pro- probably <laughs> a good call, probably a good call. Um, probably. one of the interesting side notes from this film is not about the film itself, is mm. that depending on who you ask, before or after the film came out, Lucas knew he had a flop on his hands. Mm. And he was getting divorced, and so uh, and he wanted to shore up his cash reserves. As a result, probably not much of a problem for him anymore. I should know. Probably doing. Mm. Um, <laughs> he probably has barbs at night in that Disney cash. Um, but <laughs> at the time, he was wanting to shore up his finances, so he decided to sell the uh, the ILM Computer Animation Division, uh, and he sold it to a guy you might have heard of called Steve Jobs. Um, and that computer animation division later became something known as Pixar. Mm, um, so right. How the Duck indirectly gave us Pixar movies. Yep. So that's not that's a good thing that came out of it, I guess. It, you know, true, um, true. Uh, you know, Cars 2 is a direct result of, of How the Duck. So, you know, <laughs> you can, you can go and uh, you, can, you can thank George for that one. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I think it's 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 not much more to say about it, really. I just thought it was really actually kind of a fun movie. I feel like you could, if you could get past the weird, the weird duck nudity, 
and mm. the uh, weird duck human sexy sexualization. Very, very odd scene. Mm. Uh, and Leah Thompson again. Kudos there. Apparently, it took her two hours to do her hair like that every day. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, <laughs> keeping a straight face, acting opposite a, uh, a puppet duck that you are currently attempting yeah. to seduce. That's that's talent. Yeah, that's that's well, that's it's it's something. <laughs> I I actually do kind of in, like her performance in this. She's quite nice, endearing. She's not the 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 stereotypical female role of that time where she's like needs to be saved all the time she's actually pretty self-sufficient she's entertaining she's fun to fun to watch she's just kind of putting these scenarios scenarios and situations as like that's no it's just not good it's it's a shame because i think that um her performances in back to the future and this I think she's got talent and it just seems like she never had an opportunity to really kind of break into the big time. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those what if worlds. <gasps> Ooh. <sighs> I, I think this film has get, did get a reputation of kind of slowing some careers down a little bit. Mm. Um, I think she went on straight after this to be in uh, a rom-com of some description, if I'm not mistaken, uh, some kind of wonderful. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, which I don't know, it did particularly well, but yeah, probably probably pretty unlucky considering her roles in the Back to the Future films, mm. um, and just sort of really never went on of it. But again, uh, I am I would imagine you know turning up at Back to the Future conventions pays the bills. That's true. That's true. Uh, this film won a lot of Razzies. Mm-hmm. Uh, won won four Razzies. Um, and look, honestly, I, I think that I just don't think it's that bad. Uh, though, interestingly, Robin Williams auditioned for the voice of a duck. If it's yeah, one thing, that's it could, I don't know who said no to that, but they need to go down to the Hall of Mirrors and take a good hard look at themselves because that's a that's just a bad call. Well, I think I think it popped up in my feed the other day that he actually was scheduled to do it and he did like three days of voice recording, but didn't like the way it was syncing up with the puppet. And I can actually Im- imagine that being a big problem because a lot of that is going to be remote-controlled puppet work. And Robin, being someone who is famous for improv, yeah, improv puppet work, that's got to be hard. <laughs> and especially doing that whilst flying on a microlight, it's, yeah, I can see why he would probably go, you know what, I'm probably not the right guy for this one because... I'm doing a lot of stuff, but just just imagine that could have been the the bit that kind of brought the the movie together a little bit. That I mean, 1980, early 1980s, Robin Williams doing the voice in a parody movie where he could be sardonic and cheeky as fuck. That could have been a good little kind of linchpin to hang the whole thing on. Just think about his stand-up shows and how raunchy he would go. It could have been. Uh-huh. I found myself thinking this film, uh, this character, whether or not you agree that the film needs to be rehabilitated is is up to you. George obviously disagrees, and I think it kind of does. I, I think it needs to be revisited, but with a different mindset, um, mm. that this is actually goofy, hilariously awful fun. Um, but I think the character has potential. Um, I mean, I, I the more I read about the, the character, I'm like, 
you know, um, when Marvel Cinematic Universe inevitably starts to, you know, chug a little bit and grind, grind to a little bit, it will happen. Whether it happens this year or in five years or in ten years, they're going to well, get Well, apparently there's an episode of What If all about Howard the Duck and they've got Seth Green to do the voice again. Um, so I think that could be um, could be a nice way of reintroducing him. I totally agree that the character of Howard the Duck could be a really good inclusion, um, a nice variation to, to Deadpool's character and just bringing in a bit more of that kind of parody element to it. I would imagine that like Taika Waititi or uh, James Gunn would be kind of kind of very obvious choices for directors for doing something with Howard the Duck. I feel like that that sensibility and the attitude that is needed to make Howard the Duck a viable property, they could bring to the project quite well. Um, the only thing I'd say is that, like, do you remember a TV show in the 90s called Duckman that Jason Alexander did the voice of? Um, and it was yeah, a private... Duckman was a private investigator, and I'm like, did they did they get sued or something? Because it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of a very adult oriented animation. It wasn't sweary and everything, but it was mm. definitely it was like Adult Swim. I think maybe back then, you know. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if it was exactly for Adult Swim, but that kind of show, mm. um, it's you know, it was kind of revolutionary for the nineties. But I'm like, mm. it was good. I'm like, so you're like, eh, anything you think it was well. I don't know, man. Probably, obviously, nobody remembers Darkman except me. Um, mm. So, uh, <laughs> probably not a problem. Karaki says, I want to want people to leave older movies alone for a while. I'm mad they're remaking Candyman and Highlander. Um, I think you'll find That's two right. people in fair, in, 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 in raging agreement with you right mm-hmm. here. But mm-hmm. two people significantly more cynical about that this, than you. I don't think you, uh, I wouldn't be holding my breath if you're looking for Hollywood to. Uh, to kick the mm. habit um, yeah. of, um, of um, doing remakes and stuff because I think it's just the beginning of remakes. Considering we've got the, the second remake of Ghostbusters, remake, reboot, soft reboot, prequel, equal thing of Ghostbusters coming out within the last five years is coming out later mm-hmm. this year. Um, I think your only hope for it slowing down anytime soon is if superhero, uh, if superhero movies really start to soften soften or the video game to movie adaptation suddenly take a massive leap forward and become much more of a cash cow because then that'll take up more of the space rather than the remakes of remakes of remakes of originals taken from another foreign language <laughs> i mean i'm thinking we're talking June as a remake that's coming out. Um, Blade is getting a remake. Uh, Big Trouble Little mm-hmm. China. They're still threatening to remake Big Don't Trouble Little China. Um, you know, it's 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 not going away. I mean, yeah, I've even heard whispers of them doing another Ace Ventura film. There's another uh, yeah. Matrix. Another Matrix film coming out soon. Matrix Four yeah. in the can apparently. So, you know. Um, I'm a cynical PTS fan. I'm just restrained in how I feel about a, about a grand lot of remakes. It's been hate there. Oh, you, we're I'm 100 with you, Cara Kitty. Yes. Um, remakes are, are, are generally speaking a bad thing, uh, I think, and they limit creativity. And it's such a sad thing. Yeah. But you know, if you were a, a a filmmaker or a writer with an original idea, 
Mm. It's very difficult. We, we've talked about it before. But was that but Joe mm. Rogan? I mean, I don't like to reference the guy. I know he's kind of a dick, but like he did have that reference episode we talked about a couple of years ago where he had Guy Ritchie on. Guy mm. Ritchie, you know, a, a an established bankable Hollywood filmmaker mm-hmm. making King Arthur, which yeah, I'm not strictly striking a remake. You know, it was a new interpretation of an mm. classic story. And he, on that podcast, he talked at length about how hard it was to actually go about yeah. getting a Just film released. Funny. That wasn't part of a pre-existing IP like you know Marvel, DC, Star Wars, King Kong, Godzilla, whatever you want, you know, Fast and Furious. He had to like the amount of trouble he had to go through to get his film, you know, to get the right release slot and everything. It was quite Mm. fascinating. So it's it's, unfortunately we, uh, as much as it's it's probably not something anyone really likes, it's just something it's reality these days. Yeah, no, it's it's a hundred percent true. I think that remakes are part and parcel of the Hollywood system. They have been for decades upon decades upon decades at this point. Um, But I think that the thing that makes me uh, more palatable to them is when they actually get interesting uh, people involved in the projects who want to bring something new to it, not just cash in and just update a la live action lion king ladies and gentlemen which is just a cg animated fucking movie of one and it's not even as good that that kind of remake is literally just cash cow fodder that is taking a piss yeah it's entirely unnecessary i mean maybe you could argue a situation of oh but they um, the cast was made up of largely black voice actors uh, for this new version so like that's fair they should have had representation then, but beyond the voice, what is it doing differently? And it's not doing anything. It's less emotional and it's not bringing anything, any modern social sensibilities to the, to the movie or anything like that. It's just to make fucking money. So stop those things, bring something that is new and compelling. Hell, if you want to do a gender swap to talk about, the variation that that would bring the story, not just because you want to have Simba be the, um, a girl this time or something like that, actually make it part of the story. And then you've got a reason to to do it. Um, Cara Kitty says there's going to be a fifth Indiana Jones film. I think you're mistaken there, Cara Kitty. There can't be a fifth fourth. Indiana Jones yeah. film. Without the fourth film being made, they haven't made a fourth film yet, so yeah, no, it hasn't happened. Their film hasn't happened. It didn't. Yeah, that's that didn't. Uh, we we wouldn't. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Howard the Duck. We're a little off topic of remakes. Um. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether it, I. I think it's a. It, it would probably be a more marketable character now because there's more of a market oh. to the adult, cynical, mm. R-rated. You know, um, uh, superhero film all these years later. Maybe it's a more. It's a. It's a finer. They've, they've perfected the art form. Um, yeah, you have the keys, though. Unless you have anything else you want to be over the head with about Howard. No, 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 no. Um, I have got our next movie, and it is following Tim Roth. Uh, not Tim Roth. Tim. Um, Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yes, to Brian De Palma's Mission to Mars from year two thousand. This is uh, Tim Robbins, Gary Sinise, Don Cheadle, Collie Nielsen, Jerry O'Connell as the uh, the four big names ju- jumping up there, directed by Brian De Palma, of course, legendary director. 
Um, this is when the first manned mission to Mars meets with a catastrophic and mysterious disaster after reporting an unidentified structure, a rescue mission is launched to investigate the tragedy and bring back any survivors. Now, this is a movie that I remember wanting to see when I was a kid, but I never, ever got a chance. And so... I think, I think you'll be thankful for that once you see it, because I saw this at the cinema, and this film, this film blows. Well, you made me watch Howard the Fucking Duck. At least Howard the Duck was interesting, but anyway. Um, I, again, I saw this was 20, 20 years ago, so maybe, again, it's not as bad as I remember it being. Uh, I just remember yeah. it, two, two Mars films came out at the same time. Uh, the other one had yeah. similar in it, I think. Um, I That's right. Yeah. yeah, Red Planet was a cool. I don't know. Um, Red Planet, yes, with uh, him and Tom Sizemore. Um, because it's sort of like when those two comet movies came out about this, you know, Armageddon and Deep Impact, and um, yeah. Sort of, then we have the two vo- uh, volcano movies of Dante's Peak and Volcano. Volcano, and yeah, yeah we had. So anyway, I just remember seeing this at the cinema going, maybe I should have seen the Val Kilmer one. I don't think that was very good either. (laughs) But you know what? This is another notch in our, we haven't watched it before, bow. So let's just do it. And and you've got got a few few good places to to bleed off of there as well. Because there really aren't um, that many from Howard the Duck. Uh, well, there's a few, Jeffrey Jones and such, but, can, can, but I do want to see Jerry O'Connell was in this, so Kangaroo Jack, yeah. um, for example. <laughs> yeah, on Australian podcasts, so, you know. I have seen that movie. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, it was a surprise box office success back then, and that is... That says something about the uh, the box office for the year that it came out. It's just depressing. <laughs> Sometimes films just come out at the right time, like you know, um, yeah, in the right place at the right time, like nothing else. I think I think this film might have been there was there was five minutes in Australia where they weren't releasing anything. They just like, dumped all this shit at the cinemas, and that would have been you know September October of two thousand because there was a yeah. little thing on called the Sydney Olympics, and nobody was going to a fucking movies. Except this guy. Um, so <laughs> good um, man. I think like Supernova got dropped in the same period. Um, oh God, yeah, I remember yeah. that. The um, that was the one that um, guy who directed The Godfather, uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed. Yeah, had his name taken off it. Um, <laughs> wow, the guy who wrote this also wrote Wild Wild West. Well, there you go. That's that's wow. pedigree for you right there. Okay. So, Time frame. There we go. Okay. Shall we um, move on? Shall we have our word from our sponsors? I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. I um I organised a special for you guys this oh, week. Um, I had some um, uh, movie over Olympics anytime. There's way too many humans and things I don't care about. But considering, Carrie, that like, the Olympics were in Australia, like everyone was very, very, very fucking excited that the Olympics were in Australia. Uh, so um, uh, that's why everyone was so paying attention. We did watch, I watched Nobody. I think you did as well, George. Uh, yes. Did I? I don't know. Oh, actually, I don't think I did watch Nobody. 
Well, you get to watch. No. You know, watch. I, th- I thought it was pretty good, Caro. I thought it was pretty good. A um, little bit, very John Wicky, you know. Um, and, and, you know, if he's listening, and I know he's a regular listener, if Bob Odenkirk's listening, I hope you get well soon. Uh, yeah, he had a heart attack, didn't he? Heart attack, and we need that final season of Better Call Saul. <laughs> That's all it is to you. All it really matters to me, it's an, <laughs> you know, uh, is another season of Better Call Saul. Maybe a sequel to nobody. So I, I have some uh, some choice cuts here. So yeah, mm-hmm. let me just do the all thing. right. Do the thing. Sponsor. The thing with the stuff. Christopher Lloyd was good in it. Um, it's the best thing I've seen him in since Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> All right. Well, here is our sponsor. sponsor. At Northern Warehouse, our prices have crashed. Men's flannelette shirts, $4.95. Men's hooded flannelette shirts, $5.95. Fishing parkers, can't guarantee the fish, but we can the warmth at $15.95. Assorted children's knitwear, just $7.95. Ladies' fleecy tracksuits, $9.95. Men's denim shirts, also $9.95. And magic mops, just $6.95. Northern Warehouse, big on range, even better on price. Northern Warehouse! Warning, warning, Northern Warehouse prices have crashed. Plain dyed poly cotton sheet set from $9.99. Ladies 100% cotton socks, two pairs for 99 cents. Men's ladies and children's briefs, three pairs for 99 cents. Todd's fleecy jogsters, $1.99. Pack of three ruled A4 pads, $1.99. Men's long or short sleeve business shirts, $9.99. Toddler's fashion blouse, $4.99. And foil gift wrap, five for 99 cents. Northern Warehouse, big on range, even better on price. It's the Northern Warehouse unauthorised CD sellout. REM, Guns N' Roses, U2, Madonna, $10 each. Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Queen, Kit, $10 each. Bruce Springsteen, Nirvana, Madonna, Pearl Jam, $10 each. John Lennon, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dire Straits, Led Zeppelin, all $10 each and available at these stores now. Jimmy's Mother's Day sale with five-piece cupboard sets only $49.99. Tough steel nine-piece cookware set $79. And Mum's favourite authentic perfumes from just $19. Sale starts Monday at all Jimmy's stores. Be there! Hey, want to hear some great news? The Jimmy's sensational homemaker sale is on again with fabulous bargains like these. We scoop Australia's biggest name in bed linen with deluxe quilt cover sets for only $39.99. Plain dyed bath house, 99 cents. 100% cotton jersey sheet sets from a crazy $19.99. Aussie Aussie pillow, $5.99. <laughs> and deluxe jacquard quilt covers, all sizes, just $19.99. The Jimmy Sensational Homemaker Sale starts Monday. Be there. Jimmy's and Forges are overstocked, so we're holding our first ever warehouse clearance sale with a catalog full of savings. Look! Commercial quality cotton sheets from $2.99. Famous booted pantyhose, $3.99. Men's polo tops are crazy, $2.99. Caprice couch covers are red hot, $19.99. Look! Steel cuff layback strollers, just $99. And Vinton body facing brass, $9.99. Rush in Monday for the Jimmy's and Forges warehouse clearance sale. Be there!
ventured in to the Venture Easter Tuesday sale. For bath towels at $4, flannelette sheets just $5, printed quilts $15, and fun and games just $19. The adventure is adventure. With men's jogger suits just $14, ladies' jeans $25, or fleecy tracksuits at $19, men's flannelette shirts just $7.50. The adventurers are here. For infant and junior pajamas, $5. Boys' pants and shirts for six. Shoes, $10, $6, $5. Boys' jogsuits, 10 Girls' just eight. And irons and toasters, $29. It's Venture's biggest sale of the year. Don't venture out. Venture in. There you go. Um, uh, there is a connection there this week. This week, uh, that was uh, they were not random Australian department store commercials by by chance. <gasps> Why? What is the connection? Uh, my father was in one way, shape, or form responsible for all of those commercials. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. Uh, hang on. There we go. Uh, heavy co-host. Hello, Archimedes. Um, the guy with a big moustache, by the way, is a guy that is a former footballer here in Melbourne called uh, Robert Dippier Domenico, better known as Dipper. Um, yeah. And um, despite that, that those TV commercials being only shown, I think, in the very limited parts of Australia, uh, for a fairly small chain of stores, you know, boo there became a bit of a thing. Um, so <laughs> because there's not much else that Australia could be known for, so be there. <laughs> well, you know, you go around people of our age who were alive at the time, and you know, um, you just go be there, and people know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and by the way, Carol Kitty, I would just like to clarify that Northern Warehouse Dimmy's Adventure did not um, supply us with any money, unfortunately. Uh, Venture for one don't exist anymore, neither don't believe Northern Warehouse exists anymore either. Mm. Um, <laughs> so uh, I have it's funny. So I study part time, and and um, some of my classes have Discord, um, Discords for the classes and stuff. And hmm. I, I am experiencing that moment that we all reach where I'm a bit like, I don't really understand how it works or why I would want to use it. Like, is it a message? What is it? I don't understand. Um, I I've, I've played games via Discord. Uh, my my private one. But I don't see why you'd use that one over something else. But kids today, someone in my class, my law class last week, accused me of being really old because I was alive when the OJ trial happened. Um, well, probably fair. <laughs> probably fair. He wasn't alive when nine eleven happened, so you know that made me feel. Oh. Yeah. Um, very old. Um, and it's a, it's a weird thing to to base time around, but, like, you know, mm. it's one of those you know, where-were-you kind of things. Um, yeah. Uh, but, Karakitty, uh, we appreciate your viewership, if nothing else, and your contributions <laughs> to the show. We don't ask any money because we just do this for – because You can well, always sponsor us uh, – uh, give us a subscription over on twitch.tv slash brain if you want to, Karakitty. If you have Amazon Prime, you have got a free Twitch one that you can re-up every month and you can chuck it over. <laughs> um, that said, though, um, we are artists as well. I mean, I feel it's a bit rude to describe what I do as art, but, you know, um, you know <laughs> it's, it's good enough for Kanye West. Um, so 
you know, uh, I'm I'm very curious to, uh, what kind of art you 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 create, and if you um if you uh, feel comfortable sharing it, telling us where yeah, we share it, share it, or listen to it, or I don't know. Um, and I'm curious. I always like to support other artists on the show, like the man above yeah. me right now. Uh, his book is available on Amazon. Um, so I think you might be getting a look at it. There you go. That is available on Amazon. He writes books. So I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, I just I just come on on the internet and they say stupid shit. Now, speaking He's of stupid talent. shit, uh, it's, it's what I do. <laughs> you know, like it's it's you know, some people are born into greatness. Others have have it thrust upon them. Um, <laughs> uh, we can have a chat about. I think the a um uh, um the um, big. The, the big, big release, release of a AAA release of, uh, for a while, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, um, the Suicide Squad, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I, I just like to clarify because the cinemas are all closed here in Melbourne. We did have to find yeah. alternative means to see this, but I 100% intend on paying to go and see it once lockdown's over because I guarantee you I would have yeah. gone and seen it, paid to see it, if mm-hmm. that were a possibility. And God knows when I'm going to be able to go to the cinema again. And like, I, I waited... Four months, no reviews to, to see Tenet last year. And my mm-hmm. God, that was not worth the wait. Um, but Suicide I'm Squad... I'm disappointed that, um, like, uh, the Snyder Cut got released on um, uh, Binge because of lockdown. I don't quite understand why this one hasn't. And I tried to even go to the HBO Max using VPN, but I don't have an American credit card, so I wasn't able to do that. So I tried every avenue. Um, yeah, and got, I mean, like, who knows? Maybe, maybe it's next week, who knows? But, like, I, I now I re- don't recall your opinion on this, but I know we definitely talked about the so this is the Suicide Squad, um, uh, as opposed to the 2016 original version Suicide Squad directed by mm. David Ayer. I think when one, I think the closest one could say about this, this is a soft reboot or a soft reboot slash sequel. I guess so, yeah. it. I mean, we, we still have a couple of characters that reprise their roles. Obviously, you've got Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. You've got Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. Um, there Jay was Captain Boomerang. Boomerang, Boomerang and Olivia. Olivia um, uh, Viola Davis. Viola Davis, yes, um, as... Um, uh, uh, Waller. Yeah. Um, but then this movie... Um, well, let's go. I'll just read the read the synopsis. Supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bell Reeve Prison join the super secret, super shady task force X as they are dropped off on a remote, enemy infused island of Cortomortiles. Um, this is the, the I remember the first poster that James Gunn came out of this, and there were tons and tons of those um, like little almost like buttons for each of the the people that were involved in this, and um, they uh, the the tagline was "Don't get too attached," and you find out why very quickly in this movie, don't you? <laughs> um, I. Just going to be completely honest from the start here. I fucking loved every single second of this film. I wanted to wring it out and mm-hmm. drink down every drop of genius that came out of James Gunn in this film. Mm-hmm. From the opening scene being, uh, or the opening second, where they 
where they are in Corto Maltese, just because that's a deep cut. Uh, and I am not a DC comic book fan. I don't read comic books, unfortunately, not like George did. Mm. But I've seen, we just last week talked about the 1989 Batman film, where Corto Maltese was where Vicky Vale had just come from taking all her photos of the mm-hmm. quarter. And like, I'm like, eh, eh, I see what you're doing there. It's a nice deep cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we meet, you know, characters and you just feel good to see on the screen. You're like, you know, when James Gunn's got Michael Rooker in his film, you go, okay, this is good. This is probably going to be good. Uh, and, and you see Nathan, Nathan Fillion as well. And you're like, Nathan Fillion, he's one of James Gunn's boys. He's probably going to be good. Um, but as you said, James uses that to subvert expectations quite expertly. Mm-hmm. Um, we will try and keep the spoilers down here, but I, I think it's fair to say you this this film earned his R rating in the first fifteen mm-hmm. minutes without any trouble whatsoever. Yes, um, I love this movie because, like what we've talked about in the past about a lot of the Marvel movies of how they are actually kind of reskinned buddy cop movies or things like that. This is a superhero skin on kind of like a grindhouse movie. And it's just delightfully absurd for that. Everything from the kind of like the bold text of the Suicide Squad, that kind of military attitude to it, everything about it feels like something just ridiculously purposefully needling every little joke out of it as as much as possible. And the um, the blasé attitude of death as well it's it's all part of that kind of grindhouse attitude and i love it it. it's not i mean i've been on the james gunn bandwagon for a long time now Mm. Uh, um you know i recently rewatched super um with someone who hadn't seen it before and i've been ranting about that film for for over 10 years now because it was about 10 years ago i saw it at the melbourne film festival and that film is still holds up. It's still a fucking great yeah. movie. Rain yeah. Wilson is bloody hilarious in it. Yes. Like he doesn't get to get crazy. He was funny. The only slightly mm-hmm. weird thing is that Elliot Page is in the film. Um, yeah. Pre transition, and there's a scene where uh, Elliot's character Balty kind of maybe rapes uh, Rain Wilson. Um, yeah. But he, that's kind of James. He's always playing on the edge. But before that. Uh, Sliver was. I remember seeing Sliver, and Sliver was oh, fucking great. Or if you go back to his, the stuff he did at Troma, if you don't know yeah. Troma, Troma is a very low budget uh, uh, schlock horror uh, studio in the US. So think the Toxic Avenger, Surf Nazis Must Die, The Class of Newcomb High, um, all that kind of absolute dross came out of came out of Troma, and that's where James got his start was at Troma. Um, I forgot yeah. about Newcomb High. Yeah. I think we watched that for the show, I think. I think we did. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, he, he worked in a film called Tromeo and Juliet. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's so bad. A really bad, really tragically awful Romeo and Juliet uh, piss take, but it's kind of done the Tromeo way, which is funny. So, um, and this is just James. So they've just basically DC's thrown open the toy box and yeah. gone, do whatever you want. And James yeah. going, all right. And as long as you, so if you've seen Super and you liked it and you liked the Guardians films, you're going to enjoy this film. You know what exactly mm-hmm. what you're going to get. James mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily 
do anything particularly different or original. He just does yeah. everything really fucking well. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want? I mean, if you're going to see a, a military, you sort of called it a military fiend. That's a good call. Uh, a military fiend sort of, you know, uh, Dirty Dozen style uh, superhero yeah. film. You probably want it to be ultra violent. You want lots. You want you want it to be funny, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, and you want to have a good time. Uh, mm -hmm. And he ticks those boxes beautifully. I mean, this isn't the Dark Knight, right? Like, I mean, don't, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But going mm -hmm. in with that kind of really serious, you know, dour attitude, you know, the, the Snyderian kind of way he was he was approaching the mm -hmm. DCEU was completely would have been completely the wrong way of doing it, which I believe yeah. was David Ayer's approach to. Yeah, uh, just to be yeah. fair, he had Suicide Squad taken off him and re-edited by the uh, same people who did the trailers for that film. Uh -huh. So I don't think we can hold David Ayer entirely responsible for for what happened with Suicide Squad, even though it was an awful movie. That wasn't entirely... I would be curious to see the film with David Ayer release the air mm. cut. Um, but, um, but this one is... Uh, this one has taken... is taking exactly the right tone. It's funny. It's violent. Uh, it's ridiculous. It makes absolutely mm -hmm. no sense. But my... God, it's a hell of a ride. Yeah. Um, it's just you very quickly kind of realise that this is an entirely different animal to everything else in the DCEU and to pretty much everything else in superhero movies when <laughs> the, the weasel just jumps out of the plane. Did anyone check if he could swim? <laughs> And um, the uh, Nathan Fillion's character, TDK, uh, the detachable kid, I think is what that stands yep, for. Yep. And, and you see him, he can basically detach his limbs and he detaches his arms and basically his arms float over the battleground and start slapping soldiers in the face. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? It's not um, even sort of like, oh, yeah, cool martial arts move. It's, it's just it's like, like, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And it's like, and someone just sort of says, I didn't get to pick the team, you know? Um <laughs> I, I must say I was disappointed that mm. I, 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 there is a minor spoiler here, but it is the first 10 minutes. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to say if you don't want to know anything, you want to go 100% clean into this, these spoilers guys, are up. there are spoilers coming in the next couple of seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was super disappointed that, that Captain Boomerang died in the first 10 minutes of a film. Uh, yeah. I would not normally say that about anything that Jack Courtney's ever done because they're generally awful. Um, but he really was one of the few highlights of Suicide mm -hmm. Squad. The mm -hmm. few highlights were, were Margot Robbie, Will Smith's mm -hmm. daughter, and Captain Boomerang. I think he had some mm -hmm. good stuff. And even in the first 10 minutes, the chemistry between Margot Robbie and Jack Courtney's characters are just off the fucking chart. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to enjoy watching these guys bounce off each other. Yeah. And and then he kills him, which I, mm -hmm. I can kind of get because he's like, oh, look, here we go. You know, character you kind of know and maybe like, and I've just killed him in the mm -hmm. first 10 minutes. You know, anyone, mm -hmm. don't, as he sort of said, don't get too attached. Um, I was yeah. like, oh, come on. I, I did like also just the they subverted expectations with Michael Rooker's character. So like being the person that the movie opens with being just kind of shown as this cold blooded ice in his veins killer who just with a bouncing ball can kill a, a bird. And then he turns tail runs and it's like awesome. 
that's that's perfect. That's good. It's a shame because I love Michael Rooker's work and I just want to see him on screen more just generally in life, but it works for the, for the setting of the scene of this movie so well. Um, it, it does. And again, it's, it, 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 it does the same thing as Captain Boomerang because you know Michael Rooker and you kind of, you know, because he's like, he's Yondu, right? Um, mm. and, and that's again, no, that's, that, that's James Gunn going, don't get too attached, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, it's bizarre that I think um, two of the highlights of his film are two super deep cuts again from the DC mm. I mean, Joel Kinnaman's, I thought he was fine in Suicide Squad, didn't get mm. a lot to work with. He's fine mm. again. Uh, yep. Idris Elba as Bloodsport shot. Um, uh, you know, he's basically the same character as Will Smith, but different mm. character, but, you know, Um and you go, okay, he was great. Kidris was always good. Yeah. Um, John Cena hit it out of the park as Peacemaker. Uh, just quickly, are we finished with spoilers? I shall attempt not to do any more spoilers from here. Okay, I'm going to take spoilers off, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, go. Um, but the real Rat Catcher 2 and, and Polka Dot Man and King Shark, like yes. these are some pretty deep cuts from yeah. the universe. And particularly Rat Catcher 2. Mm-hmm. Um, is almost the heart of the film. Um, mm-hmm. And she's played by, uh, I'm trying to look for her name here. Um, 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 she but, is, uh, where is she? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Daniela Melchior. And um, I think, uh, I, yeah, it was, um, I'm trying to find it where I recognize her. Uh, uh, from something else she's done previously, but um, she's, she's popping around a little bit. What was I mm. anyway? Um, no, I have absolutely no idea what I've seen her in before, but I've seen nope. her in something, uh, and she was really fucking great in this. Mm-hmm. Like, apart from the fact she's she's gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, but her character was like I said, the real heart of the film, and in mm. a way, the most important character, mm. um, from the in terms of a plot, um. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's giving away too much. You, you'll see it when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of her scenes towards the end, again, really, uh, if you're thinking this is just going to be a big, dumb, stupid movie um, with lots of explosions and people getting cut in half, you're right, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not all it is. It does have mm-hmm. a genuine heart and mm-hmm. it makes you feel attached to these characters. And, and her oh. scenes, one of her scenes towards the end is actually really touching. And mm. uh, again, I'm not going to, I said no more spoilers, so I'm not going to spoil what is in it or what happens, but mm. you're like, oh, that's really quite nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, really, really impressive. And of course, Sylvester Stallone voicing King Shark is just genius. Just genius. And. And. <laughs> um, no, no. Just, to go back, just to go to John Cena again, like, I mean, mm. What is it with he is something about professional wrestlers? He did it with Dave Batista, um, mm-hmm. and he's now got it with John Cena, who mm. I think I, I think I saw him in Trainwreck about 10 years ago, and I thought he was pretty mm. good. Um, I, I'm sure you are, Carrie Kitty, you're fine with spoilers, but uh, there are occasionally other people who listen to the show, and I just want to give them mm. yeah. the best possible chance to not have it spoiled by me. Um, so it's just sort of a credit, this is a, 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 a service, yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, but Cena has insanely good comic timing, like mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know if you've seen. He turns up to every interview and premiere and event dressed as Pace, in the in the Peacemaker gear, in character. Yeah. yeah, and he loves the character so much that him and James Gunn have created a Peacemaker series for HBO Max as well that is finished filming already apparently. So it's like um, okay. I'd be cool. keen to see it. I'd be interested yeah. to see it. Like is it, is it, again, just to go back to the initial briefing scene, um, he's like, uh, "They are uh, so the, the plot. Of the film is the 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 Suicide Squad is sent to Cordomotis to derail something called Project Starfish, um, hmm. and John Cena's character says, <laughs> so, "Starfish is a, a slang term for butthole." You think there's a connection? <laughs> um, and that's a level of that's the kind of deep cutting, you know, socially relevant comedy that you that you you can live to expect this film. Um, yes, I would also. I mean, I, I I don't want to be this guy, but well, I do. Um, but I'm gonna be. This film is just fun, and I think to yeah. go back again, we've talked before about. You mentioned Marvel has their own way of doing superhero mm. films, and they change the game. Fairness, you know they. Mm-hmm. The, uh, as you said, the rebadged uh, buddy cop film being uh, put in place for Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the political subtext uh, of something like uh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, the kind of um, uh, the espionage movie of uh, Winter Soldier. Um, mm. What they have also done, I think, quite a bit recently, and I don't, I don't want to harp on about it, but they do, they are quite partial to a bit of politics in their film. Mm-hmm. Seen Black Widow didn't bother me that much, apart from the fact the film was a bit meh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was all over the shop in Captain Marvel, um, mm-hmm. and they did it. As I said, they did it quite successfully. I think in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go and watch something like Star Trek, it's all over Star Trek. It's all over yeah. Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, love it, hate it. Maybe it needs to be there. Maybe it doesn't need to be there. But it's always there, and I feel like that's going to coming in when I see something like the Eternals. I would not surprise to see something that's pretty heavily. Oh yeah. Pretty heavily on that kind, of, leaning on that kind of thing in the Eternals, and maybe even Shang Chi when we see that. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm, the person I watch this with, and they know who they are, will disagree with me vehemently at this. That there was not, this is not a message picture. This is not a, <laughs> the I'm message saying, is good. This is not a message picture. Yes, there is a plot, and you know it involves some some political, you know, mention of political entities, shall we say, and, you know, there are politicians at play and that kind of thing. But, mm. you know, um, this is not a film that has deeply embedded gender identity, gender politics mm. messages, you know. There's no fight scene to I'm just a girl or Maggie's farm or, you know, like, <laughs> you know. I, that, what, was the, what was the worst and most blatant? Captain Marvel who just um, uh, winced for some reason during pre-production. The Marvels, you mean? They haven't got Captain Marvel 2. They don't trust her to carry the film. Oh, that's right. Yes, it's the Marvels. The yes. Marvels. So, the um, Marvelous Miss Marvel. With Miss Marvel and uh, and uh, the, the blue girl from WandaVision. Um, Photon? Uh, remote, you know, the, the chick who got the powers at the end, uh, yeah. Rambo's yeah. daughter. Um <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember her name. Monica Rambeau. Um, yes. I think it was the character's name. Um, so, and again, I won't go too down this rabbit hole, I promise, but, like, it's fine. 
um, mm-hmm. to have it in there, and it's important at times and representation, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and people mm-hmm. of color are in here. You know, you, Idris Elba mm-hmm. is a team leader who is who is African American. We talked about mm-hmm. Ratcatcher, who is um, he's Latin American. Um, uh, Margot Robbie, they get they get Harley Quinn. This is the best Harley Quinn we've seen mm-hmm. to date, and that's not mm-hmm. Margot Robbie's fault. That is because she has a material and a director who knows what he's fuck he's doing this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get the, the, her. She has a, a set piece fight scene in midway through the film, which is stunningly yeah. gorgeous. I mean, yeah, beautiful. They just and they do Birds of Prey in five minutes. James Gunn gets Birds of Prey better than the entire Harley Quinn and the Emancipation of yada yada yada, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The Birds of Prey film that came out last year. Was it last year? Mm-hmm. Um, if he gets that right. So, yeah. you know, do not think for a second this is just a, you know, um, the Expendables, right? A bunch of old white dudes. There mm-hmm. are people of colour here. There are differently gendered people and mm-hmm. that's fine. But then you've never played up. It's not there. You are not. You don't ever really feel for a second that they're doing that. They gave that scene to a woman so mm. that, that we now, little girls will, you know, well, look, have something to look up to, you know. Uh, or that I always go back to that scene in um, in Endgame where you know she's not fighting, you know, where all the women team up and they, oh yeah, know, it was just so blatant and so lame. Yeah, um, it never fit. Well, I don't, I don't get the impression that that's something that interests James Gunn a great deal. I could be wrong. He has mm. some stances. He said some stuff on um, Twitter about cancel culture because he's kind of been involved in it. Um, yeah, but. Um, uh, I don't get the impression that that was something that went into the writing process of his film. No. I don't think anybody said to him, we need to see X number of female characters and I need to see, uh, you know, African-American characters and could you put in an Asian character and, you know, um, that kind of thing. It's, it's, he just wrote a great film, made a great film, made sure it was a lot of fun with the characters he wanted to make the film about um, and with mm. the best actors he wanted to cast as those characters. And yeah. somehow, when you write a write a story, there's a story needs to be written, right? Using the characters that need to be used with the actors who most suitably suit those characters. Mm. Somehow, you, you don't comes. get you don't you don't you come you get a really great result for the audience mm. at least, um, mm. and and you don't get a, a confusing blamange where you know you have to accuse your audience of being sexist if they don't enjoy your film. Mm. See, now, my my problem with this movie is just the the situation that it has come out to, um, the fact that it's unfortunately come during COVID and it is performing badly at the box office Very because of, largely because of that, but also because people are going, "Oh, I can't take my kid to this." They're like, well, no shit, it's a fucking eighteen rated movie. Don't take your kids to eighteen rated movies. Sorry, I think I heard some people in the states t- talking about having like people taking like five, six-year-olds to this film. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other part of this is there's also Day and Date gone live on HBO Max. So you can watch it at home for free. True. Sort of. But, you know, um, whatever it's cost to be a yeah. HBO member. Yeah, because going into this, into the production of this, um, James Gunn was fired off of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And that day, or it might have been the day after, he was picked up by Warner Brothers and they said, yep, we will hire you and you can have your pick of the litter. They were going to, they were offering him Superman. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to do something different. And they said, yep, take your choice, your choice. And it is wonderful 
that this movie has come out and it, they have just gone, yep, you make your own movie. This is wonderful. You, you, you do you and we, we'll, we've got your back. I want, if Marvel have got their machine, it is up and running. It's 11 years old now. They know how to insert directors in and get the story going and make a billion dollars every movie. That's all well and good. DC, if they are not going to fully invest in this extended shared universe thing, then they need to go, like I've said, ad nauseum at this point with their, uh, their other world's projects of just these random things, get directors in to do their story. This is a prime example of how that can be such a good thing. James Gunn was given the keys to the kingdom, do what you will, we'll release it. And those people who are actually going in there with measured expectations are actually really enjoying this movie by the sounds of it. And it is unfortunately as a victim of circumstance, but otherwise I think it would be a success and the same vein as the Deadpool movies were. And I feel like if they had been able to guarantee a financial success with this movie, we would see a lot more of this kind of thing where directors are just coming in, just going, okay, I've got my idea for X character or Y character and just doing it and making a fun, engaging movie that, sits well for everything the difference i think here is now and two things i think we need to remember that the 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 goalposts have moved during the pandemic i think though you're right even with those move goalposts they would probably be a bit disappointed about how the films opened up with the limited well again it's like the last two two or three weeks things have changed again Mm. since since, in the last month or whenever it was that we saw black widow things have Mm. changed and moved like the Delta variant in the States, Cara Kitty, I hope you're staying safe in your part of the mm. world. Um, case numbers are up through the roof in certain parts of the US, and um, which is obviously the main market, and I think mm. probably also in parts of Europe as well. So that would change the mood of people who might a month ago have felt okay about going to the movies, maybe mm. aren't feeling quite so okay about going to the movies. The, the pandemic market for film is pretty all over the shop. So, But I wonder... Mm. You know, uh, I have to imagine they keep stats. At, at, I'd have to imagine there's some data at, at, at Warner Brothers' end about how many yeah. people are watching this on HBO Max. And, yeah. you know, uh, I think the, the word in the street was that they didn't really get a lot of new subs from um, people from the Zack Snyder film, but mm. the, uh, the, 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 the Justice League. But it was a four-hour film, man. Mm. Uh, and he kind of took a dump. Sorry, Joss kind of took a dump on that whole Justice League brand yeah. years ago. So you know then again um uh good on you carol i ha- i am fully vaxxed as well um the um the suicide squad's kind of had a bit of a you know that first one kind of stunk but i think a film has underperformed at the box office that i wonder how it's gone at home mm. um they will know what they were expecting and if they're seeing a an uptick in people signing up or people watching it or keeping you know, subscriptions being retained I have to say, like, you know, unfortunately, as you sort of noted, it's not available to us. Um, mm. But um, it sounds like a better deal with Disney Plus to me because, like, their entire 2021 schedule has been put online uh, mm-hmm. day and day uh, mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. Is in is yeah. included in your subscription. Where Disney have the gold to charge an extra thirty bucks for Milan yeah. and uh, and and Black Widow and such. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be really keen on, on the Mandalorian. And the mm-hmm. uh, the Marvel TV shows to, to think it was better value. But don't worry, Travis. We might not get HBO Max over here, but released today, 
Paramount, Paramount Plus. Plus. What a fucking waste of time. Oh, um, yeah. I just like to say, though, just to follow up on your point about the film like being Deadpool, the difference between this and Deadpool. Deadpool's mm. budget was $58 million. This mm. film was budgeted $185 million. Um, I don't Damn. think anybody else is going to get $185 million for an R-rated superhero film, any t- R-rated film of any description, anytime That's soon. Mm. I think That's I think if you can make, I think they might go, they might do what you've said because that seems to be where they're going with Joker and this, and mm-hmm. um, you know, if they could go out to somebody and go, "Hey, you want to make a Blue Beetle film?" I don't even know it's DC. Um, you know, um, if you want to make a Blue Beetle film, right, and mm. you can bring it in under under sixty million dollars, you can mm-hmm. get an R rating. Yeah, you want to? You I, actually, you think you need one hundred and fifty to make that movie? Sorry, we need a PG thirteen. I think that's kind yeah. of how it's going to play out. I reckon so. I reckon so. Otherwise, I, if you if you live somewhere you can see this film, please see it at the cinema. Yeah. Support it. Yes. It's fucking great. Yes, absolutely agree. And I cannot wait to see more of it. Um, as a side note, just with the with the Idris Elba link, just saw just the other day, he was announced as doing the voice of Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog Two. So that's, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I kind of yeah. think he was cheap. Um, yay. <laughs> well, the last one did make a good amount of money. Yeah, though, no, and apparently you liked it, right? It was all right. Yeah, it was. It was perfectly cromulent. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so Suicide Squad. That's two thumbs up from from us. To, yes. to, to, it's um. I geez, it was good. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it was oh, fantastic. One, one last word of warning, though. If you mm. are of a sensitive disposition, yes, uh, and to follow up on George's point, do not take the kids. Do not buy this for your children. Mm-hmm. Don't don't care how much the other kids at school want to see it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And if you're of a sensitive disposition, uh, really think long and hard about whether this film for you is a pretty gory film, mm. incredibly violent and very gruesome. <laughs> it's a good yeah. policy, but if you did have any, I would also tell you to leave them at home. <laughs> Should we move on? I think you, we move on. I think you've been watching some TV this week. Yeah, I have. I um, d- dripped into um, Asian TV horror or sci-fi horror, and I'm going to talk mostly this week about Sweet Home, which is on Netflix. It's from South Korea, and um, it's a really interesting kind of show. Uh, one second, let's cue up the trailer. Trying to be better with that sort of stuff. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So the the premise. I'm just going to bring up this, but it's sweet home. There we go. Can I keep I waiting to attack Alabama on the end of that phrase. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to induce the power of Reese Witherspoon. All right, so Hyun, a loner high school student who lost his entire family in a terrible accident, is forced to leave his home and has to face a new reality where monsters are trying to wipe out all of humanity. Now he must fight against all the odds to try and race against the clock to save what is left of the human race before it's too late. That's a pretty bad 
breakdown of what this is. It starts off, and this this is kind of a great representation of what an um, a horror anime um, would look like if you just did a live action version of it. Like the opening is this snowy day, uh, snowy night, and there's military all on this um, uh, fence, and there's just dead bodies kind of twitching and stuff, and this one guy. Hyun, who's just walking barefoot through the snow, just kind of looking all fucked up and stuff. And then it cuts to where the, where the series takes place. And um, basically, certainly the first two episodes that I've watched, first three episodes, it all takes place in a tower block. And it's just these people who are effectively under siege because the power has gone out and there's this this creepy fucking monster that just tries to come in and starts killing people. And you slowly but surely get to meet all of these other families and people that are in this building. And it's just a really cool character piece where you're slowly but surely learning about the different people and their kind of relationships and these monsters. And it does a really good job of actually making it scary without being melodramatic and by using um, physical animation and um, alternate uh, kind of animation styles to make the monsters move and sound like nothing you've seen before. And I don't know whether it's they're purposely pulling frames out of the animation, but they are just so fucking jarring and just every movement looks pained and horrible. And the, the close-ups they've got, so like animatronics and stuff, like there's one that goes through that has half of its head missing, but it kind of evolved and it's got like this bat ear and it's just walking around just going, I can't see, where are you? I can hear you. And it's just chilling it, it's really done well and this has kind of come out of nowhere it's based on a manga apparently and i'm now really keen to watch it because it's really interesting it's really really good and i definitely recommend it it's got a little bit of a kind of society kind of commentary as something like the host um from um Oh God! What was his name? Oh yeah, the guy who did um, um, Parasite, right? Um, yes, um, I can't remember his name, but um, it it's got that kind of sentimentality to it. So if, yes, thank you. If you like the the host, if you like Bong's movies, you're probably going to enjoy this because there is really good society stuff in there. There's really cool action bits. It's a little bit silly. The the special effects are good, if not great, the way that they actually breathe a bit more life into these creatures. And I'm really excited to see the rest of it. It's 10 episodes. I'm only just maybe a third of the way through at this point. And it's just turning it up and up and up. And it's making the humans slowly but surely as creepy as the monsters. And so really, really enjoying that. <clears throat> How would you describe the level of gore? Is it past the no, it's violent. It's violent. It's def it definitely, there's like, if you get infected with this, the nose starts bleeding at an extreme rate. 
Um, the bodies are just morphed and just destroyed, and there's there's a lot of violence in this. It's not psychologically violent, I guess, would be the way I describe it. It's not kind of torture porn or anything like that. It's just gruesome, kind of akin to something that Sam Raimi would use for Evil Dead. Another film I haven't seen. Yeah, lots of um, lots of flowing blood. <laughs> so it sounds like again, if you're of a sensitive disposition, just be careful with this one. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. But I really do recommend checking it out if you have an opportunity. It's on Netflix. I can't remember if it's um on the US Netflix or if it's also on Australia, but um I think it's on the US. But definitely check it out. That's sweet home. Fantastic. Really good so far. I think you've got one more, right? And it's also from that part of the world. I have. Yes. Um, this one comes from Japan, and it is Alice in Borderland, um, which I'm a bit late to um, because I'm, you know, yeah, living a life and I don't have... Last year, I think, right? Uh, yes, I know yeah, December, that the... Yeah. And um, it's another one that's um, based on um, a, a manga or an anime, I think. Um, but it's a group of bored delinquents are transported to a parallel wasteland as part of a survival game. And I've not finished the first episode yet. I'm still very, very fresh into this. But so far, it's actually really good. And it's just an interesting concept that I'm looking forward to expanding more on because there's, you think about Shibuya. It's one of those iconic Japanese locations where there are thousands of people walking everywhere. And in this, they're there and it's just them. It is terrifying to think of that, that place where there is always hundreds of thousands of people milling through it within the course of an hour to be deserted. That's a cool idea. It was like the first time I watched 28 Days Later and they had digitally removed all of the people from London. It was great to just have that point of reference and just go, oh, fuck, that would be scary. And I guess it's kind of given a little bit more gravitas because of the lockdown and so many people and places being empty of people because of COVID. It kind of just adds that little air of familiarity to it and so like oh fuck yeah that means it's serious <laughs> and so I, it's, it's just yesterday i went for a walk um through my neighborhood my new neighborhood and i mm. walked around through not through the actual physical casino but the casino here in melbourne kind of has hotels on one side and a casino on the other side and there's like sky bridges mm. there's a road through the middle and i and it's usually a pretty buzzy place you know under normal circumstances because mm. there's all sorts of shit going on around there and it was fucking mm. dead there was nobody around um yeah it's um it's it is so i mean it's not quite shibuya but um yeah, yeah. but it has you you get the the point of the kind of the feel of it to suddenly have these iconic locations just devoid of human existence it's it's a weird one um, and so I'm just really looking forward to, to seeing what they do with this and how it develops. Um, I've heard that it's quite good. So my hopes are pretty high. So far out of the two, I think Sweet Home has definitely um, captured me a little bit more. But I'm 
keeping on with both of them at the moment. And there's certainly nothing coming out from on TV that is really capturing my imagination from America, Australia, England. Um, so I'm happy to find fantastic TV elsewhere in the world. Talking about this, like I think it's been, especially in Australia, been a much mm. stronger focus on foreign language stuff mm. that's been, I don't know if this is made for Netflix, but stuff that's been made for Netflix or has landed on Netflix. Um, um, so, you know, it's normally under non-pandemic circumstances, you probably yeah. would see the, the English, German language stuff, the South African stuff, the stuff they're making for other countries would not be on the front page, but, you know, it has been yeah. because there's just not that much content flowing through. Uh, character yeah. says, I live in New Hampshire. Lack of humanity is easy to find, so that didn't bother me. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, if you're looking for lack of humanity, you could have just visited Washington, D.C. up until January. Oh, yeah, I went oh, there. Ooh, country. Um, <laughs> I know, those are rare. Um, I, um, of course, you, we live in Australia. Uh, I live in a very, very high density part of a country. Mm. Um the city anyway george less so like george could under normal circumstances george could be could be uh pretty much out in the middle of nowhere like um the last time i tried to go out and visit george uh for a podcast like mother nature literally said yeah nah mate piss off um, and basically <laughs> unleashed a biblical downpour and which basically you know literally prevented me from going to his place so um yeah, yeah. pretty easy yeah. to find nowhere <laughs> And nothing in this. Well, we are the show that God can't quit, can't cancel. God, God, God can't cancel. Um, you know, you, you did knock down a tree, um, but yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 um, it's tried really it's hard. <laughs> very easy to find a lot of nothing in this country as well. Yeah, but you know, we are in a big city mm -hmm. at the moment. Both of us, unfortunately, because of um, uh, the, the weather gods, has tried yet again to cancel us. Um, Someone oh, wow. did a whole interaction. I didn't know he was one of them. I felt gross by so blame it on the fact he moved to Florida. Well, you know, he moved to Florida. I mean, you there's know, something there's something in the water in Florida. It's like, there's that whole game, right? You type in, you know, Florida man and your birthday. Um, and there's always something that comes up. The Florida man game's fun. Um, yeah, it's, uh, wow. I haven't been to, I haven't been to Florida yet. Um, it's, um, I, I look forward to, uh, it being a regular visit to the United States in, um, in non weird times. So yes. I would very much like to come back and see friends again. And um, uh, I will not go there other than to see the wildlife and then leave immediately. <laughs> well, that's probably a safe bet, right? Um, uh, I, my favorite thing about visiting the United States is, um, is uh, I think you, you listen to the show. I don't think I sound particularly Australian, but you turn that ochre up to 11 when you're in the States, mate. And that, and that that opens doors. Like I, um, I was in um, I was in um, Houston, I think, and like the, uh, ca the cashier at Walmart talked to me for an extra ten minutes because I love that accent. Um, <laughs> you can talk to me all day, you know. And you're like, oh goodness That's a me, terrible Houston. I'm really not very good at Houston. Like, <laughs> like, um, and um, you know, it's like you be just, just everyone's everyone's mate. Yeah, good day, mate. How's it going, mate? Uh, yeah, yeah, mate. Where's the where's the bloody toilet, eh? Um, uh, I love the uh, I love the uh, the bloody steak, eh, mate? Um, yeah, no worries. Well, the next time that Travis goes to the US, I'm gonna need everyone who ever listens to this show to just inundate him with cork rimmed hats. 
Oh, I, I, I took a corporate hat with me last time I went. Um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't wear it. I didn't wear it. I did give it to uh, to a friend of mine who lives in California. But I did wear an Akubra. Oh, see, now I you're classy. They're in a Akubra. Hey, look, you know what? They're very good at keeping the sun off your head. And when you're as white as fucking sour cream like I am, and you burn by thinking about, you know what it's like. If you burn by thinking about going outside, you know, you need to be careful when you're old like me. Um I don't know if I ever told you this. Okay, so when when I went to the Gold Coast about four months ago now, I decided I was going to try and catch some sun, try and actually get a suntan. And I was there just in my swim shorts on the beach in the sun, headphones in, just listening to some music, relaxing, and I just heard this thump, 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 thump. And I open my eyes and I look, and there's this, like, five-year-old boy just looking down at me all excited. And I was like, hi. He said, Hi you're really reflecting the sun. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and he just goes, my dad says you're probably English. And I was like, yeah, you're right, actually. And he turned around, ran back to his dad, who was standing in the water, this stereotypical Aussie guy with muscles, tattoos, and, and suntan to be jealous of. He's going, dad, dad, you were right. He is English. <laughs> That's how I, I'm so white. I, you know, break my arm and I glow in the dark. Heckin' bloody rude, that is. Heckin' rude to frickin' to, to be saying shit like that. You know, like, I mean, I take my shirt off in the beach and I'm like a prism, you know. The old, <laughs> like, people can't, you know, the old Bill Hicks sketch. You know, I can't, put your shirt back on. I can't, we can't find our towels. Um, <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's, um, it's hard work being this white. It is, so. Um, <laughs> Controversial statement. Only because you burn quickly, okay? Like, I mean, I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, creme brulee French toast. Mm. You had me at creme brulee. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is, you know, my one of my things, favorite things about the United States is American food. I did actually in Charlotte have American uh, apple pie with cheese on top. And uh, a bit of a delicacy around those parts, apparently. Um, I I'm, I'm came, went in Rome, do as Romans do, mm-hmm. and that did mean eating deep fried Oreos. It means the eating deep fried Oreos. We do um, have a history on this show and past shows of traveling for food. We did drive to Adelaide once for a <laughs> uh, pie float up. We were 10 hour drive for one meal. Um, and, and I think it was worth it. <laughs> we, got to go to, we got to go to the brewery as well. Um, yeah, you so, did. Um, back on topic. Yes, um, topic for a change. <laughs> stay in that part of the world before the next thing I'd like to talk about. Yeah. Um, is, and I'm going to, this is going to shock and shock uh, our, our regular listeners. because I'm going to talk about a Japanese animated film. I don't know if you call this anime. I don't really know what exactly anime, what the, the delineation between anime and stuff that's not anime is. Um, but this is a, a, a feature, Japanese animated feature film called Weathering With You. Mm. Uh, this film is written and directed by Makoto Shinkai. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I am almost certainly not. Um, notable, and I guess how I found my way to this film, is he uh, wrote um, the 2016, um, I think he directed it as well, the 2016 masterpiece your name mm-hmm. um, Fantastic. which is just i had a look here in imdb i believe it's actually um 
number 70 in the top 250 films on IMDb, which tells you something. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, anime has its fans, but that's really highly rated. Uh, this is his follow-up to your name, uh, and um, I've been meaning to watch it for a while. Weathering with you, a high school boy who has run away to Tokyo befriends a girl who appears to be able to manipulate the weather. Um, and again, that's a fairly oversimplified, you know, it's a bit like a Korean family opens a farm. Um, and I think that's going to be our example from now that on. That is the example, yeah. <laughs> um we will definitely get back on the road like if you have a if you live in australia um and somewhere and if you're like my town has the best you know vanilla slices or whatever um we will we're happy to 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 go and try a vanilla slice um (laughs) this film is probably it's hard to hard for a director who's made something that i think in my opinion and you're probably more of a connoisseur of this kind of thing than i am your name is an a flat-out masterpiece Yes. Um, when you've made a flat out masterpiece, the pressure for your follower has to be super fucking intense. Uh, and, yes. and somehow Makoto Shinkai has done that here. He has followed up a masterpiece with a film that I don't know is the equal of its predecessor. But okay. then again, that's really setting the bar pretty fucking high, right? Like, I mean, I don't mm. think Orson Welles made a film as good as his first film ever again, right? Like, he made his first film with Citizen <laughs> Kane. It's 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 how do you get to that level again you know um it's 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 difficult to get back to it he has come out of the, the gates here with Weathering with you made a really really mm. brilliantly beautiful film so mm. the um our main protagonist is uh Horaka, uh who is a young boy who has run away from he's me him on a ferry as he's running away mm. from home to come to tokyo he's almost washed off in a freak storm um, before being uh, saved um, uh, by a stranger, um, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Nagi, I think his name is. Um, uh, I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, this guy, he befriends this guy, buys him dinner on the boat, say thank you for saving him. He ends up in Tokyo and finds that because he's a runaway, he's like 16, he, mm-hmm. it's particularly hard to subsist in, in Tokyo because it's a very expensive city to live in. And trying to find a job when you're not uh, of age yet and you don't have the right paperwork and, you know, parents and that kind of thing who can help you out. And not knowing anybody, he finds it, finds it very, very difficult to to be able to subsist and live in, in Tokyo and ends up at one point homeless on the street. Um, he's only The only person he knows in Tokyo is the man he met in the boat. Um, and so he uh, ends up uh, living with him and working for him, writing uh, crackpot stories in a, like a conspiracy magazine that he owns, which is very strange. Um, mm. And uh, in, in doing so, he finds out about the concept of Sunshine Girls. Uh, all the time he's in Tokyo, the, team, the, the city is constantly being pounded with like rain, like around the clock, every day, mm. nothing but rain. Um, but by the Sunshine Girls apparently are able to um, get uh, a few minutes uh, respite from that and actually make the sun come out. Uh, and it's sort of a mythical thing until he meets Hina, uh, who is an actual Sunshine Girl, who is the, the plot sort of uh, posits, is through some through praying, some sort of special ability she has, can actually control weather and arrange for it to be a few minutes of sunshine. Um, as a result of her praying. Um, mm. They initially turned this into a business, which they charge 
5,000 yen uh, for her to come and pray for, uh, and get the rain away for a few minutes. Um, and then it, it becomes a little bit more metaphysical from there. Um, so I won't spoil what happens from that point in time, but otherwise, you know, they find out a little bit more about how it is she's doing this and that, you know, leads into a place of, you know, uh, crisis and, you know, uh, drama and shit goes down as a result that to make sure everybody gets out of this okay. Um, it's a really interesting film. It does not at the start or at any point in the film really tell us why uh, Hortica is running away. We don't see mm. anything about where he's come from, his home, what it is he might be, uh, why it is he wants to go to Tokyo so badly. We do see mm. a little bit at the end of the film. It gives us a little bit of context, but not much. Um, it gets mm. kind of quietly hinted at that maybe he's abused or beaten or parental issues have caused him to leave. Um mm. But it's what I it, – it's so much I like about this film. Um, I think the thing that really stood out to me most of all is the animation. Mm-hmm. Um, this film looks to me to be cell animation. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. Probably, probably a combination of both, actually. It's probably a combination of cell animation and, and some computer stuff. I doubt anybody's doing – too many people doing pure cell animation these days, but – Wow, the animation is just gorgeous. Like it's breathtakingly beautiful to look at this animated film. Like some of the stuff I do with the animation is just brilliant, and I don't think I've seen it in anything else I've ever seen. Um, it, it's just oh, breathtaking. Um, the other part of the animation that I really enjoy is, as someone who spent a little bit of time in Tokyo, in, in Japan, Tokyo in particular. Um, mm. Tokyo is a character in this story. Mm. Um, it really feels like Tokyo. I mean, I said, I think I said something very similar about uh, your name. And mm. I actually could actually almost recognize places in the film that I'd been. Um, and they take it to the next level in this film. And I feel like even mm. more than your name, Tokyo is a much greater influencing character in this film. And again, for someone who spent a little bit of time there, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm back there again watching this film. They just, they've just got it so right. Mm. And how they do it, I think, is they've actually inserted a lot of um, product placement in this film, which I think is a little unusual. Uh, I certainly don't recall seeing it in your name. Um, so there are billboards for shit on the buildings behind them when they're walking mm-hmm. past stuff, you know, um, and the kind of things you would normally see, you'd expect to see on a billboard in Japan, again, from my, my limited experience of having visited there. Um and by giving it that real sense of place, mm. uh, it really grounds it. And you, you kind of really, it feels more real, which is important to me because uh, I actually had a look at Hometown, for example. Um, sorry, Sweet Home, you mentioned earlier. And I'm mm. like, ah, uh, monsters. Uh, you know, there, there are always monsters in, you know, in, in, in manga and anime where demons or they're fucking some other kind of monster or they're dragons or something and i'm like you know for whatever reason fantasy really puts me off um i like reality and i need mm-hmm. my right where i like fantasy you know like black mirror i've talked before about that is yes it's fa- science fiction in a way or fantasy but it's grounded in reality mm-hmm. um so where something gets really fantastical just kind of loses me, you know. Mm. Uh, I just can't get interested in that. Where this 
feels real while there are some metaphysical and fantastical elements to the story the fact that it's it's so well grounded in a place that i feel like i know um it, it felt real in a way that really attracted me attracted me to it um yeah one little bugbear i have what is the fucking deal japan with all your stories being about kids like yeah, they're <laughs> always teenagers right they're always like it's, it's again so these two, uh, our, our, our main couple, Hodaka and Hina here, are teenagers, you know, and I'm like, D do you make films about adults, you know, guys? You know, it's a little bit creepy, always being about children. Well, it's infinitely more scary to a child. Yeah, I suppose, but <laughs> always children? Like, always. Uh, it's just such a cliche, right? Um if you are, um, let's talk uh, representation, you know, like where are the, I mean, the films, I mean, again, I, I, they could be out there, you know, tweet it at me to jump on the Facebook te page, tell us where I'm wrong because I'm by no means an expert. But, you know, most of these films always seem to be about young people, kids. Um, you know, um, I, I feel like it'd be nice to see a story about grown-ups, you know, mm. like, um, an actual grown-up story where you know yes it does mean that for the, the yellow for the purposes of this plot it does it make, makes it more interesting in a sense Horika can't do a lot of things because he's not a kid he's not an adult yet so he is treated a certain way and you know it enables the story because he's he's because he is of his age we're like maybe next time tell a story about growing ups it's just getting a bit much with these children and you know the way they animate <laughs> Young girls in Japan, it's a bit like, uh, you know, it's your culture, but yeah. It's referred know. to as fan service. That's the actual name for it, where it's over-sexualization of young people. And it's like, mm, that's a cultural difference right there. I, I always go back to a time uh, I visited a department store in Tokyo um, mm. with a friend of the show, Patria and Greg, uh, friends of the show. And it was a very, very unusual store in a sense. The bottom level was white goods. And I think it was like mobile phones and electronics. The next level up was like DVDs then other things like, you know, mannequins and, you know, uh, what do you call them? Like action figure kind of things that they, they mm. really like. And the top floor was literally a strip club literally strippers um but the thing is the higher you got the pornier it got um <laughs> and i just remember being in the toy section at one point because we were just sort of wandering around looking i swear it was just i just like having a look um and um there was like pokemon shit were here and over here were figurines you know the kind of those sort of very highly sexualized japanese figurines of girls with giant breasts and tiny outfits and tiny bikinis and i'm like and they're like literally a meter apart from each other. Mm -hmm. This is the same country that pixelates any depiction of genitalia, both in film, television, and in print. Mm -hmm. As you found out. Is um, this, yes, thank you. <laughs> in La Pocetta's pizzeria, you bastard. <laughs> um, so it, it's a very weird mob of Japanese about their sexuality. So it, it, I don't think they necessarily over sexualize Hina. And uh, Natsumi is the other main female character in the film. Um, I don't think they're overly sexualized, but they're, they're very slight. Mm. You know, 
they're very cute. It's the I guess it's that kind of balance between kind of titillation versus pornography. It's certainly not too bad. It's worse in, it'd be worse in other manga. It certainly mm. it takes a fairly wholesome path. And then the love story between Horikar and Hina, which we all know is going to be there, is really, mm. really nice. Um, and I guess what I, why I'm complaining about it is like, I just feel a bit weird about enjoying a love story between two teenagers quite so much. Like it was between two mm. grown adults. I'd feel a little less creeped out about it. Karakiti, if you're interested in this kind of, and, and like, it's not really my jam most of the time, but I would strongly recommend trying to find your name. As I said, it's on mm. Netflix in Australia. I don't know about the United States. If you can find a copy of your name, it's a truly beautiful film. It's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. If you like Miyazaki, George could talk Miyazaki uh, at you all day. I would, I'm the outlier who says I would recommend rather than the Venice stuff. Um, I, mm. I would recommend The Wind Also Rises because I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also, I mean, then again, it's like we see cop films. He's, he's a guy's a guy's a fucking genius. So like, yeah, do bad yeah, work. he is. So I, that's, that's an underrated piece of work. Not many people like The Wind Also Rises. They're going to tell you Kiki's Delivery Service or My Neighbor Totoro or Half Moving Castle or Spirited Away or something like that. Um, mm. So. Uh, this film's just gorgeous. It's it's really, really enjoyable. I watched it with subtitles. It is available on Netflix in Australia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look it up in your local service. If you saw your name, uh, I think you're going to like this too. If mm-hmm. you're just interested in dipping your toe into, your, into a water with something that's, you know, uh, Japanese anime-ish, and again, I don't know if it fully qualifies as anime or not, um, uh, I would say this is actually, this is, if you don't want to watch Howard the Duck, you could watch this with your family. You could watch it with the kids, right? Um, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing particularly uh, risque or or um, problematic about this mm. film, other than you know, as I said, the depiction of young people. But that's really pretty mild in this film compared to some others. Um, I couldn't recommend this film strongly enough. It's if again, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful, and, and like you know, we talked a while ago about. Um, uh, the, the new Pixar film, which named escapes me right now because it was so forgettable. Um, the Italian Pixar film. Oh, uh, Luca, <laughs> Luca, uh, and you know they're kind of the gold standard of animation in in the West. I think is Pixar. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, sorry, this leaves Pixar in the fucking dust. Um, mm. look, I mean, obviously it's a different style of animation for sure. But give me this any day of the week. It feels like a real place. And it, oh, it's just, I mean, I, I couldn't get past how gorgeous the animation was. Um, and, yeah, it's it, it, do yourself a favour. Find it if you can. I guess if you're really against Japanese animation, you're lost because yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's true. Um, I will Have say, you seen it? Uh, no, not yet. I do want to watch it, though. It is on my pick list. Um, I, if you want, I think it would be worthwhile you going and watching My Neighbours, the Yamadas. It's um, kind of from the other side of Studio Ghibli, um, directed by Isao Takahata. And it's a little bit Simpsons-ish. It's almost like these little vignettes of slice of life of the Yamada family. And it is really good. 
it's really, really good. And I think it'll kind of capture a lot. And this is, especially when you look at it and go, okay, this is the guy that directed Grave of the Fireflies, one of the most harrowing war movies of all time. That was and, a great film. Yeah, he directed Pompoko only yesterday. It's the, the tale of Princess Kaguya. He has done sort of really, really unusual, borderline experimental stuff compared to Miyazaki's stuff. But it is still stunning and just really, really, they just pull every little bit of everything they possibly can out of every single cell. It is phenomenal. I guess the, yeah. it's interesting about the, it's interesting at, um, the animation and the style of the animation is so important for these things, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. um, the style of the way, um, the, the way Weathering With You looks is half the appeal for me. My first look, I'm looking at My Neighbors the Yamada, so it is now on my Netflix list. I look at that animation and it instantly makes me not want to watch it. It's very different style of animation, but the kind of slice of life comedy element to it, it's really good. Um, and it's Jim Belushi in it. Yeah. I wouldn't watch that. I will watch. I, I, do you have a preference? Are you a, are you a subtitles man? Um, since I've been learning Vietnamese, I generally just watch um, the English because otherwise I'll forget the Vietnamese. That I've been <laughs> It'd be confusing, yeah. Yeah, and I've tried putting the Vietnamese audio on for like Castle in the Sky, my favorite movie. I can quote that backwards, but it doesn't help me learn Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> it's um uh i think i found the only thing that helped me learn a language and this is the one time i tried was i spent months literally studying uh the, the, the alphabet um hmm. and reading it and then when i found myself immersed in in russia hmm. um um i found it actually really actually helpful that i'd done that work because i could start to read things but damn, like it, you, Vietnamese seems like next level shit to me. So uh, you're taking on quite a challenge there. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's fun. <laughs> so I, I will try to attempt to. My neighbors, the Yamadas, is on Netflix here. So I will put it on my list. And if I have some time, I will attempt to uh, take on that challenge. Um, and I'm very, very excited Fantastic. to see what um, what this guy comes up with next. The the, the creators of uh, Weathering with You and, and your name because um uh, basically something about these films really speak to me mm. oh sorry we're having a bit of connection problems with both of us actually our signals are really shitty um yeah i think it's the most sad movie having in school yeah just damn level of heart or anything uh like it's, it's, a it's a hard watch it's a hard watch yeah it's worth it but I think well, that's was there anything I've else you want to talk week. about? That is it. That is it for yeah, for yeah. Me. I've gone through it. Look at that. We're we're coming in under a under the two hour mark again. Right, an hour and fifty five minutes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being in the chat so regularly, Carrie Kitty. We really do appreciate it. Um, just the the rerun of the show for everyone we talked about howard the duck we're going to be talking about mission to mars next week um the suicide squad we gave our thoughts on that i talked about sweet home and alice in borderlands on netflix and also on netflix travis watched weathering with you 
next week we should have some thoughts on uh, Marvel's What If series as well as Mission for Mars. And I'm probably going to have a little bit more to talk about with Sweet Home as well at the very least and a bunch of other things, I'm sure. But please remember to like, subscribe, share on all the channels, twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, facebook.com slash um, armchairproducers, facebook.com slash uh, fridebrainproductions, uh, at thefriedbrain on twit, uh, Twitter, at eviltrav on Twitter for Trav. If you have recommendations, let us know. George, if you could drop the Facebook address in the chat for Caro uh, and anybody oh, yeah. who watches the replay, um, that'll be – rather than listening I, – I, I don't listen and type as fast as, as – I'm, I'm too old. I can only type with two fingers, right? Um, but if you um, if you have the Facebook, uh, a Facebook account, uh, you can jump on the, the Facebook page and, or um, – uh, yeah, so George said you can find us on, the, on Twitter if you like Twitter. I am – on Instagram, do not ask me what my username is because I don't know. I don't understand the Instagrams. Um, <laughs> so, We're from an older generation. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a few different ways. Um, um, uh, would me? Um, anyway, well, um, I have my Instagram. It is the fried brain. It's the fried brain. Basically, anytime you see the fried brain, it's me on Instagram. <laughs> uh, I, I am Evil Trav on uh, Evil Trav. So as per uh, the mode there, if you want to find me on Instagram, you can add me. I don't use it very much because, again, I'm old. Someone had to explain Snapchat to me recently, and I didn't understand why anybody would want to use it. I learned <laughs> recently that TikTok is a thing. Someone has suggested we and start a TikTok. Wait, um, Disney started TikTok? No, I said, I said someone suggested we start a TikTok. Oh, oh yes, that's right. Yeah. I really um, don't know why. <laughs> Actually, I guess that is it no, no, it's Snapchat that they get deleted off forever. So maybe we should do Snapchat so that no one has to <laughs> there's no record of us. <laughs> yes. Um the uh, uh, friend of a show, Julian Smith, has started a TikTok, I have heard quietly. So um, mm. We will get uh, get him on the show, and we will do our retrospective of... I didn't watch that piece of shit for nothing. <laughs> we will get him on at some point soon, though. But right. thank you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. Hide your wives. Hide your kids. See you next time. Good night. Good night.